Hello and welcome to the Discover Money Podcast. My name is Will and with me is Ben and we are two average people who have no formal financial training but have a huge passion for learning all things money. Each week we'll explore a new financial topic in hopes of better educating ourselves and hopefully you on how to stretch your dollar and set yourself up for a brighter future. Now let's get this started. Welcome back, Discover Money listeners. Ben, how's it going today? Things are good over here, Will. Uh, wrapping up football season and watching my Minnesota Vikings uh, try to lose every game that they possibly can, even when they win. But other than that, uh, excited to be back here to do another podcast. How about you? You know, well, so talking about football, which I guess we better release this episode pretty quickly now that we're kind of putting dates to it. So that'll kind of light a fire underneath us. So that's perfect. Um, but I mean, my Washington team is doing pretty good right now. I think we've won four in a row. So I think your Vikings are going the wrong way. Um, and my Washington football team is going the right way. So I'm sitting, sitting pretty pretty right now for sure on the football front. Now, here, the question is, how many games do they have to win to finally pick a new mascot? Oh, I hope they don't pick a new mascot. I personally oh, no? love the Washington football team. Really? Like, I like it. A hundred percent. Are you buying yeah. merch already? Are you buying merch for the, the WFT already? I mean, Ben, you know me for like 10 years. Have you ever seen me wear a college merch <laughs> shirt, a pro football team merch shirt? Like I go to Old Navy and buy like red shirts, black V-necks, white V-necks, gray V-necks, and that's pretty much my wardrobe. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll put it on the Christmas list for you this year. Let's see. Fair enough. I mean, you have pretty much every Vikings and every Ohio State merch out there. So you are enough for both of us. Fair enough. All right, what are we talking about today? Oh, this is an exciting one for me, Ben. I know last week we were kind of talking through our individual retirement accounts, and I think one thing that came up was the three-bucket strategy, which I think that you and I kind of decided that would be a good episode to talk a little bit about and kind of delve a little deeper into, which I was actually surprised that, Ben, that wasn't something that you were that familiar with. Was that kind of the first time that you heard that terminology or just in that setting? Um, I think that I've heard of buckets before, but I, I really hadn't thought about it as far as um, the tax, you know, pre-tax, after-tax, and, and kind of this, um, the way that we're going to talk about it today. I know I remember being in um, a insurance office years ago um, as I was getting my whole life insurance, which again, we'll talk about that uh, in a Wait, second Wait, so you episode. went to an office for but, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. They they bring you in, you know, they sit you down and they they give this, you know, they got this pretty PowerPoint in front of you. And, and I remember there being buckets on that PowerPoint. Um, but I, I think even though as I was, you know, doing some more research on this bucket strategy, I think, you know, for the listeners out there, if you type in three buckets, right, like three buckets uh, retirement or three buckets financial, you're going to see a lot of different types of bucket systems out there. Um, so I think it's great that we're talking about this one today, um, about the you know, kind of a tax benefits or tax optimization. So before we talk anything about three buckets, I have to ask, what did you get for free to go to the whole life insurance pitch? Uh, unfortunately, nothing. Um, my, I had a, <laughs> a student of mine 
that was an apprentice. I think that's the term they use. Um, that was just getting his start with that company and kind of as a favor to, to him. So when, when you start out at a company like that, you know, one of the first things that you do, since you work primarily on commission, is you are told to reach out to anybody and everybody that you know, friends, family, acquaintances, etc., and just try to, you know, to get them to, to talk to you about their, their insurance plans. Um, so I, I felt like I was kind of doing a solid for um, for a, a former student of mine, and, and took the meeting, and um, you know didn't know much about finances back then. So I was kind of I feel like I was kind of sitting prey there. Um, but no, I didn't get a con, you know, I didn't get a timeshare rental or a bottle of wine or you know any any of those nice prizes that uh, some people tend to get at those types of pitches. All right, so it was pretty much it was a solid for what was called a friend. We we won't call out the student's name or anything like that. Absolutely, but yeah. Doing doing it as a favor. Um, did you end up getting sold at that event? Uh, yeah, yep, I did. Okay, let's uh, leave it there. Let's leave it there, <laughs> and then we can come back to that story maybe next week and do a whole episode on Ben's whole life insurance story because I am perfect. So interested right now to hear this. <laughs> perfect. We'll leave, we'll leave the audience just, you know, waiting in bated breath. That's right. That's right. All right. So going back to um, three-bucket strategy, the whole reason we're here, I think, Ben, you're absolutely correct. I think three-bucket strategy means different things to different people. If you look it up, there's probably different ways to look at it. But really the way that I've always looked at it, and it's just because that's the, I guess, the, the talking heads, if, if, if you want to call it that. But really the resources that I use kind of refer it to it from the different taxable or tax advantage type of retirement vehicles, and then really leveraging those different tax advantages and kind of manipulating that tax code to make sure you're going to get the most out of your retirement investments. So that's kind of the lens that I look through, and I think that's the lens that we're going to talk about it today. So if you're somebody who thinks of the three-bucket strategy a little differently, um, absolutely not wrong, not right, just different mindsets out there. And like many things, things mean different things in the world. So that's that about sum it up, Ben? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think Will, for me, like I'm just curious, you know, I, obviously I, you know, I, I really hadn't given this a ton of thought, um, you know, previously. So, so where did you first, you know, hear about this strategy or come across this, this idea? Yeah, so there's one podcast that I listen to, and I'll give them a shout out because I really like them, um, and like a lot of the success that I have, I think is because of them. But there's a podca- podcast called The Money Guy. Uh, I listen a lot to them. They talk about the three bucket strategy, probably every other episode. It seems like uh, I think Dave Ramsey also uses this same terminology of kind of three buckets and then bridge accounts and things like that um, to some degree. So I think that that's kind of the lens that I've, I've always looked into it and kind of heard about it through just my own research that way. Gotcha. Yeah. So, okay. So let, let's maybe define what those three buckets are of how we're going to talk about it and kind of set the stage here, Ben. So when we talk about three buckets, the first bucket, and we're talking about retirement or investments account right now, is pre-tax. So that's the first bucket that we're going to kind of break down. The second bucket we're going to break down is something called after-tax investments. And the last one is taxable investments. 
each one has their own advantages, their own disadvantages, probably even, um, to kind of look at it. But we're going to kind of break down each one and talk about why you would want to invest in one over the other, what are the benefits, and then kind of talk about our own portfolio. Ben and I love to look at kind of what we're doing. We kind of broke down our own accounts and to see which buckets we have for our portfolios. So the first one to kind of talk through, we talk about pre-tax. So this is kind of another terminology for this is tax-deferred accounts. So this is going to be your traditional 401k, traditional IRA, in the vast majority of just whatever traditional retirement account you have through your employer, as long as it's not a Roth option, it's probably going to fall into this bucket of tax-deferred. And when we say tax-deferred, Ben, what, what are we referring to there? Right. So tax deferred means that, so this is kind of, this is pre-tax money. So the, you're going to contribute to these accounts without paying taxes initially, and they're going to continue to grow. But when you take your money out, hopefully a long ways down the line in retirement or just later in life, uh, that money will get taxed at your tax rate when you withdraw it. Uh, So so I guess the, my, my first question really will to you as we as we jump into this is, you know, we're going to talk about pre-tax and after-tax. Why does it matter when taxes get paid? Like, why, why is that something that's important that we think about when we're choosing what accounts to put money into? Yeah, so I think when I think about it, there's probably a few different things that come to mind. The first one is when you're doing tax-deferred accounts— you're able to put more money in at one time because you're not losing money to taxes. So you have more money that's going to compoundly grow, if that's the verb we can use here, uh, over time. So think of it like this. If I have $100 I'm going to invest, if I do a tax-deferred retirement account, that full $100 is going to go right into the investment account, and it's going to grow for the next 35 years, and then it's going to get taxed whenever I take it out in retirement. The flip side of that is if I do an after-tax type of investment, that $100 is going to be taxed up front. So if my tax um, tax bracket is 25%, I'm just making up a number right now, that means only $75 is going into the account and only $75 is going to grow over time. So that's one of the main advantages of tax deferred is more money goes in right away, more money is put to work. And then the thought is also, depending on what your current tax bracket is, it can be a benefit to take the tax deduction nowadays, or it could be more of a benefit depending to take the the tax deduction further down the line. So you really have to look at your own individual income and kind of think through, do I think I'm going to make more money in, in retirement, less money in retirement? And when I'm in retirement, would I rather have a higher tax bracket because I have less money, so I'm therefore, I'm taking less money every year. So therefore, I'm paying less taxes, or am I going to be taking more money in retirement, so I prefer to pay the taxes up front, so I'm not paying more taxes later? So that's kind of two of the main benefits, I guess, that I've always looked at it. Is that kind of the same way that you look at it? Yeah, I think as I think about it, you know, having an idea of what your future could look like is important, right? Like, do you want to retire? Do you, do you plan to continue to work until you possibly can't work? Um, do you, so I think some of those just long-term um, planning pieces come into play about how much percentage you may want to put in each bucket. 
Um, but, but certainly, you know, I think the tax advantage of later in life, if you are retired, which, you know, I guess is kind of the traditional way to, to look at this and do things, um, theoretically, you, you probably are bringing in less money at that point and in income than uh, when you are working. So being able to save that tax and pay it when you're at a lower tax bracket, theoretically, uh, makes a lot of sense a sense to me. Um, I think, you know, again, 401ks are in this bucket, traditional IRAs. So I think, you know, this is kind of the bucket that most employment um, retirement contributions are in, right? So, you know, I would say that those are probably the more common just retirement accounts that, that employees have with their employers. Maybe they're getting um, employer matches and contributions as well. Um, so I think this is a huge bucket um, that, that's important. I think when you look at, you know, people who are successful with, um, you know, be, be having high investment uh, portfolios when they retire, a lot of those tend to come from 401ks and traditional IRAs using this approach. So it, it, it does make, make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And just I, I to do, go on. I would say I do think the one the one piece that is important, and as we think about this, as I was thinking through these different buckets, is you know one side is the tax, and then the other side is the access, right? So, you know, in these types of funds, most of them have certain age requirements, right? When you can start withdrawing that money without penalty, and then they may also have a an age threshold where you have to start taking mandatory uh, withdrawals. But it's just something as we as we go through the buckets to think through is, you know, you get some tax advantages with this pre-tax funds, but you also don't have access to the money. So as you, you know, look at your strategy for you know, kind of that long-term planning, you know, really this, this is money that's going to be used at retirement age. Um, so th- there's, there's always a give and take when it comes to, to which, which bucket you're going to put money into at what time. Yeah, and I mean to put numbers to that, Ben. I mean you're absolutely right. If if you are putting money in a pre-tax or tax-deferred retirement account, you're not going to be able to access to it if it's a traditional 401k or something of that nature. I think 55 is the age you can begin accessing that without a 10% penalty. Or if it's an IRA, you actually can't access that until you're 59 and a half. So that individual retirement account four and a half years later is when you can start accessing that. And to be honest with you, Ben, you and I were both in our early 30s. Who knows, that mo- that number might become 65 by the time we're that age that we can actually access it. So I think that that's a kind of moving scale over time as well. So you're definitely tying that money up for long term. And I think another thing to know about these tax-deferred type of retirement accounts is they have something called a required minimum distribution, so a RMD, which basically that says that at a certain age, you have to begin withdrawing money from that account. I assume the only reason for that is to make sure the government is getting tax dollars out of it, so it can't just sit in there forever, basically, and never get taxes taken out. So when you reach 70 and a half, or I think if you're born after a certain year, I think now it's 72, but at some stage, the government's going to say, okay, you have to start taking out X, I I actually don't know if it's an X percent, if there's a formula attached to it, but some dollar amount every year you have to begin taking out just so you can begin paying taxes on it. So there are kind of some rules and regulations around these traditional 
type of retirement accounts where you're doing tax deferred and taking that tax deduction up front. And just to be clear, uh, in case there is anybody from the IRS listening, uh, we are not tax professionals. This is not tax advice. Uh, we are just the, the two regular guys trying to, trying to provide some uh, three bucket strategy advice uh, in a non-legal binding way. There you go. Ben with the legal jargon protecting ourselves. Good work. <laughs> All right. So that's bucket one um, is the is the pre-tax tax deferred. Um, so Will, tell us about bucket two. Yeah. So bucket two is probably my favorite bucket because this is tax-free growth after tax retirement investing. So basically this is your Roth accounts and to kind of bring it as simple terms as possible you pay taxes up front. So if I'm investing $100 every month, I'm going to pay taxes on that $100. So if I'm at a 25% tax bracket, I'm investing $75 every month on that. And then that money is going to continue growing over time, completely tax-free. So if that grows 600% by the time I retire or whatever a realistic number is, then all that money is tax-free. And then I don't pay taxes when I start withdrawing it in retirement. So a huge benefit is a large portion of that account is going to not be taxed. And then when you get to retirement, you can pull it out and you don't have to worry about paying taxes at that time. Does that summarize it pretty well, Ben? Yeah. And Will, I think, I, I think, Primarily, we're talking about Roth accounts as, mm -hmm. as maybe the most common type of account that would fall into bucket two. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as you explained it, it I 100% agree. This is my favorite account as well because the growth is, is not taxed, right? So, you know, if you're looking long term and to go back to the example that, that you gave in bucket one, you know, in bucket two, so this, this after tax um, bucket. If you invested $100 into the Roth IRA, right, um, and 30 years later, that $100 has grown into $1,500. That $1,500 that you withdraw once you get to the certain age is completely tax-free, right? So it, you're only being taxed on the initial $100 instead of the ending amount of $1,500. Versus in bucket one, with the, the pre-tax money, with the traditional IRAs, you would get taxed on all of that growth at the end, right? So anything that you withdrew at the end would, would be taxed. Um, so definitely, you know, a lot of benefits here with the Roth accounts, especially if you're looking at growth, right? So when you're young, 20, 30, 40, um, and, and you're looking in uh, to, to, to build growth over time, I think these Roth accounts, after-tax accounts, have, have a lot of value. Yeah. I would say really the only downside in my mind is you don't get a current year's tax deduction on, on that dollar. So you are paying taxes up front, so you're putting a little bit less money in every month to go to work for you. And probably, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert, but my assumption would be is that really only impacts if you're a really high earner. Potentially, it may become there may be a tipping point where it's actually better to take the tax deduction up front than to get the tax free growth. So, I would say, depending on your tax bracket, if you're a high earner, that's where it might be a little bit different. But 
probably for the vast majority of people that are eligible to contribute because there are um, income limits. I think that if you're a married couple, you have to make less than something around 200000 If you're an individual, you have to make less than like 140000 to contribute to a Roth IRA. But if you're making more than that, then potentially it would not be beneficial anyway. So something something to think about. But I think that, Ben, one thing to mention, too, is I just talked about Roth IRA, but you also have something called Roth 401ks. That's what I have through my employer, and then there's no income limits to Roth 401ks. So even if you are a high earner, you still have the ability to contribute to a Roth if you have that through your employer-sponsored retirement account. And the good thing about doing it through your employer is the the contribution limit now Instead of being $6,000 like it is through a Roth IRA, it's $19,500. And I think next year it goes to $20,500. So there's opportunities for people to invest in Roth, even depending on your income limits and depending on what your employer offers through their their retirement plan. As a state employee, Ben, you don't get that luxury, unfortunately. No, I don't. Uh, I wish I did. But I also, like, in my, you know, in my mind when you have things with contribution limits, right? Like both of these Roth style accounts have a contribution limit. Um, like in my mind, that seems like a good thing, meaning that, well, there, there's a reason why, you know, the government may only allow you to put in a certain amount of money. It's because you're getting a, a benefit from a that huge type of account, right? So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think like just the idea that they have to put a limit on these is is a positive in my mind. If you know nothing else about it, if, if the government is only allowing you to put a certain amount of money in something because it's it's gaining you, you know, a tax benefit, um, then you probably want to take advantage of that if possible. Um, yeah. Well, are there any. So, I, you know, I know there's a lot of. Um, <laughs> There's, there's a lot of other options on the, on the Roth side, things like, you know, terms like backdoor Roths and, and things like that. Um, have you played around with anything other than the traditional, or not the traditional, but the Roth 401k um, from your employer or a Roth IRA? Uh, not for me. And I would say mainly just because, like, if you talk about backdoor Roths or like Roth conversions and things like that, um, those haven't really impacted me because A, I wouldn't make enough income to need to do like a backdoor type Roth and Roth conversions. There's a lot of taxes you have to pay to do, do, do those conversions. So nothing that I've looked into. I know Ben, when you and I worked together, um, in higher education on the state retirement plan, they had a Roth 403B option opposed to a Roth 401k option. So Ben, I know for you, even through your employer, there is an option to do a Roth um, and I think that the Raw 403 actually does have a $19,500 limit per year that you can contribute. So I guess you actually do have a Roth option, Ben. Hmm. Well, I will Something have to, to maybe look into. Look into. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I looked into it and it just wasn't a lot of great options to invest in. So, yeah. and I didn't, I don't know, Ben, maybe you do, but I didn't need to max out at $19,500 to reach my retirement saving, saving goals. So. Yeah, no, me neither at this age, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, all right, so that's bucket two. So we've, so we've done bucket one, um, which is the pre-tax. So that's things like our traditional IRAs and our 401ks. We've done bucket two, 
which is after tax. So that's our, our Roth accounts primarily. Um, so, Will, bucket three is our taxable accounts. Uh, so take us through kind of what that means. Yep. So before I talk about taxable, I did want to mention one other thing on the Roth account, which I think is kind of cool and kind of interesting for people to know, is if you have a Roth IRA, not only is it tax-free growth, but there's no required minimum distribution. So you don't have to begin taking money out at a certain age. That can continue to grow tax-free for as long as you are alive. Now, the government could change that at any point, but as of right now, that's a huge benefit for a Roth IRA above a traditional IRA or a 401k. Um, And I think a Roth 401k, there is an RMD. So I think it's exclusive to a Roth IRA. So just something awesome. and, and that and that and that goes back to our access, you know, standpoint as well, right? So um, the the Roth, the Roth still do have the the age limit where you can start, um, or the age threshold when you can start withdrawing the money, similar yep. to the traditional four hundred one and um, K and the traditional IRAs. Um, so again, from an access standpoint, um, you're right in that you, you don't have to withdraw mandatory. Um, a, a mandatory percentage when you get older, uh, but you still don't have access to that money really until retirement age. Um, yep. And really, that's what that's where bucket three comes in. Um, so, yeah, so t- talk to us about what a taxable account is. Yeah, so when you talk access, like th- this is your most accessible account. This is where you have much more liquidity within the account because this is after-tax dollars that are going in. So you pay taxes up front, And then you also pay taxes on any of the growth that you experience. You're going to pay just ordinary income tax or capital gains, depending on how long that the dollars are invested. I don't want to throw out a year. I think it's like, I don't want to throw out a time. I want to say it's one year, Ben, for capital gains. Is that accurate? Yeah, I believe that's correct. Okay. Someone can fact check us. Don't believe anything we say on this podcast unless you look it up yourself. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so you pay taxes on, on everything, but the benefit is you can access the money whenever you want. You can use it for whatever you want. You don't have to worry about any 10% penalties if you take money out early or anything like that. So as Ben likes to kind of say, this is this is his almost his savings account and his, um, what do you call it, three to six month emergency fund because he can get to it whenever he needs to get to it. So a huge benefit for there, uh, but you can also invest in pretty much anything under the sun in a taxable account. Uh, and they're not typically employer sponsored and in an employer sponsored account, you really only have what the employer provides you. So you have a lot more opportunity within a taxable account. Yeah, I think this is just a simple investment account, right? So like brokerage accounts um, through any of the major investment companies. Um, if you open just kind of a standard brokerage account, that's what this is, right? If you choose to invest in a stock or a mutual fund, um, you do so. You can take, you can buy in whenever you want. You can sell whenever you want. Um, but there's no tax advantages uh, that come along with bucket one or bucket two. Um, you're basically just paying taxes as you go, and you're getting taxed um, on your on your capital gains as well when you make money. Um, on the flip side, you can then write off losses if you lose money. Absolute, um, obviously, that's not the goal, but um, there are some you know different tax 
kind of optimization things that, that people will do towards the end of the year by selling off some of their, um, their loser stocks or funds uh, to, to make a difference on their current tax return. But um, that's uh, not what we're going into today necessarily, but just important to know that with these taxable accounts, you know, the, the, current, um, the current year, um, anything that you do buy, sell in that current year affects that year's tax return. Yeah. So outside of tax loss harvesting, which we'll kind of, we'll just kind of put that to the side right now. There's really no tax advantages to investing in a taxable account. Really the benefit, if you're just looking at strictly from a retirement perspective, is if you want to retire early or if you need to get access to funds that you have invested for any type of reason before 55 or 59 and a half, then you have direct access to it. So that's why it's really good to have it in all three buckets because your taxable account, you're going to have access to it. And then in either the tax deferred or the after-tax dollars accounts, you have different tax advantages that you're getting, different benefits that you're getting out of all those accounts. So it's really good from just a portfolio management perspective to spread all of your eggs out into kind of all those different baskets so you can kind of reap all those rewards. And that's that's kind of the mindset, Ben, that I go into it thinking. Is that kind of the same as you? Yeah, I think a lot of people would refer to this as a bridge account. Um, so basically exactly what you said, Will, is, you know, say take somebody that, you know, maybe they want to retire prior to that, you know, 59 and a half age or whenever they're able to start withdrawing from their, um, from their bucket one or bucket two accounts, this brokerage account or this taxable account provides the option to, to take money out whenever they need to. So maybe, you know, somebody retires at age 50, well, for that, those first nine and a half years or, or however long that is, they can take money out from their, their taxable account to, to get them by until they're eligible to start withdrawing from their other retirement accounts. Um, so certainly I think this is, you know, it, it makes sense as a bridge. It's definitely an important piece. It's also important if, you know, there's some, um, you know, unforeseen gap in employment or an emergency that comes up. You know, I think most people would advise that this is not considered necessarily your emergency fund as, as I tend to look at it, but um, just having access to, to funds to, you know, for unforeseen circumstances in your life, positive or negative, right, um, is important. I'd also like to point out the difference, like I, the difference between you and I, and just as we go through this podcast, I just love that uh, you pull out of the air tax loss harvesting. Um, and I basically just call it, you know, just sell your losers. Um, so I appreciate that we've got the two, uh, different sides of, um, the, <laughs> the financial vocabulary, which is more ironic in the sense that you actually do tax loss harvesting and I do no active trading. So I don't take advantage of that in any capacity. So that's what makes it even more funny. Right. <laughs> but so, all right. So to recap, Oh, so Ben, to, to recap here, so our, our three buckets, so we have our pre-tax or tax deferred, we have our after-tax tax-free growth, and then we have our taxable. Those are our three buckets that we were referring to, but here's where I kind of feel like a game show host, Ben, where I got to say, wait, there's more. There's even kind of a fourth bu bucket out there, and this is a triple tax advantage account, 
which I know, Ben, I don't have access to through my employer. I know for a fact you don't either. I think it would be awesome if either one of us did because in a triple tax advantage account, you really almost literally never pay taxes on the money earned in any capacity where you don't pay taxes up front. So you get a tax defer it basically. It's going to grow tax-free over time. And then as long as you take it out for certain, what's the word? Certain um, bills that- Thank you. Eligible eligible expenses. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. For eligible expenses, then you don't pay taxes. So for instance, the one that I know of and I think about, and it may be more, and that's a HSA, health savings account, where basically that account allows you to invest over time and then use the money for different medical needs further in life. And as long as you're using it for medical needs for health care, then you don't have to pay taxes on the money up front, on the taxes, on the growth, I mean, or when you actually take it out later in life. So huge advantage if you have access to a triple triple tax advantage account. And I hope one day I'll have access to that because we all know at some point in life, you're going to start racking up those health bills. So I think the government knows that and they're really incentivizing people up front to start saving early and to prepare for that so the the onus doesn't fall on the government later to take care of people. That's kind of my mindset of why it's there. And I think the takeaway for me is, you know, when you're 20 or 30 and you're young and new in your, in your career um, and you see these options, right? When you, when, you know, maybe your employer has a list of different um, investment options that, that they, that they um, supply. I, I know for me, if I saw an HSA, you know, even probably now, um, I would be like, oh, I don't need that. I'm young and healthy. And I think what you just said is important is that, you know, this, everything we're talking about today is focused on long-term planning, right? And we know that at some point in life, you're going to need to use money for, for health expenses. So um, it's something that, you know, I think a lot of younger folks, you know, may not take advantage of or see the value in when it it really does make a big impact down the road. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, this is something I need to do more research on. Um, So again, look it up yourself. But I'm pretty sure HSA, you can use previous year's expenses to use the money later in life. Like if you're 40 and you use healthcare expenses and you keep your receipts and later in life you want to access it and use that money to kind of offset that later in life. Like I think you had the ability to go into previous years, which which is pretty cool. And I don't know the exact details of, of how that works, but I know HSA is, is a pretty awesome account and something that I think that everyone who has access to it probably should be at least looking into and considering if it makes sense for them to invest into. Because it's not a savings account. It is a true investment account where you can invest just like you would in your traditional 401k. Um, so it's not just a clearing account where cash is just going to sit either. Although people can use it like that, I believe. All right, so, so those what, are three buckets plus one. Ben and I keep talking over each other. Sorry, Ben, <laughs> go on. I, I know now it's kind of time for us to talk about ourselves a little bit and kind of what we're doing. So you kick it off. Yeah, so you know, similar to last to last episode, we uh, went through our own portfolios and, and kind of looked at you know how much money or what percentage of our of our funding do we put into each of these buckets. And Will and I did this a little differently. 
Um, but I, I think it's it's good to see some different ways to to, to look at this and think about this. So, Will, uh, take us through, you know, what what do you have in the different buckets and, and why do you have those percentages there? Yeah, so the way that I did it is I looked at over this year, this um, tax year, 2021, what did I contribute to the different accounts? So I think, Ben, you looked at it, kind of your overall net worth and what percentage was in different accounts from your over, overall net worth. I just looked at it from this year's, this year's contributions. So if I look at it from this year, which admittedly, I think I first have to admit, was a really, really weird year because number one, it was COVID. We got, um, what do you call it? Not surplus checks, but stimulus checks earlier in the year. So that kind of added some income that typically wouldn't be there for me. I also changed jobs and I had a pretty substantial amount of um, leave that I got paid out when I changed jobs. So I think that ended up coming out to like $6,000 after taxes or something that, that I got I got paid out. So I tried to take all that all that into account. So these numbers are, are somewhat accurate. So basically I took my total income from everything and then what I invest in each account to kind of come up with the, the, these per- percentages to try to be as true as possible. Next year, it'll probably be a little different because there's probably no stimulus checks and I'm not going to change jobs again, most likely. Um, so it's going to be a little different. But if you look at my tax deferred account, so that was my previous retirement account through my employer before my current one that I had earlier in the year, about 6% of my contributions went into that. And this is my wife um, and me combined. Then if you look at tax-free, so this is our Roth IRAs, my wife and myself, plus my Roth 401k through my current employer, they came up to about 13%. So what you see there is I'm contributing about double to tax-free growth than I am to taxable growth later in life, which I, I love that Roth. So I'm happy to see that. I never really looked at it this way, Ben. So kind of cool to know that a lot of my is going into that tax-free bucket. Mm-hmm. And then I also did about 2% also into my kids, um, not retirement accounts, but their college accounts. That's also kind of tax-free. So you can say about 15% of my investing this year was tax-free. Or after-tax dollars, that's going to grow tax-free. It's probably a better way to say that. Then taxable account, about 8.5%. Um, if you add all of those up, Ben, I don't know, I probably should have better math than that. What is it, about 29% basically? Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, so basically my in, my investment or savings rate this year and my retirement accounts plus my kids' um, college savings was I think 29.5%, which I think it's pretty good. You see it's, it's spread out pretty evenly. Um, but then something, Ben, that I kind of did just because I, I wanted to for this, which is I'm a little bit upset to see it when, when I look at the actual number, <laughs> um, is my cash percentage. So not only did I contribute 29.5% to investment vehicles and all those different buckets, which I think is great, but somehow 20% of my income this year is just sitting in cash in the bank, which means I didn't invest it, number one. Probably another way to look at it, which I probably should look at it, is 
I didn't enjoy that money either. My wife didn't enjoy that money. Our kids did, did, didn't enjoy that money. So when I look at that, and that's why I really, really like like doing this. I mean, Ben, we're talking about forty nine and a half percent of my income was saved in in, in, in some capacity, and twenty percent of that is just literally sitting in the bank, not doing anything for me personally from an enjoyment factor or from a investment factor. Um, so when I looked at that, I was like, wow, that's um, something I never looked at it that way and something that I definitely want to kind of think a little bit more about and figure out how can I be a little bit more strategic with that money um, and or potentially even enjoy it a little bit more because I don't think we need to have a savings rate of 49.5%. Well, you know, you and I definitely uh, differ on how much cash we keep on hand. Uh, yeah. But I think, I, I mean, it's really cool to see the numbers work out like that. Um, and I think, you know, in my mind, I actually think it's really cool to see that the, the Roth or the, um, after tax so high, um, because when we get to mine, it's, it's a lot lower. Um, Mm -hmm. so I mean, what, but tell me like with that cash piece, so if 20%, which really is, uh, if I'm doing math correctly, that's about 40% of what you're saving right now is in cash. So, you know, as you, as you think about that, where, where could that go? Like, do you see that potentially getting split? Like some of that being split amongst the other investment accounts or spending more of it? Like where, where do you think that that could end up going instead? Yeah. So it's funny you asked that because I was actually thinking about that at the gym this morning because I did this right before I, I worked out and then I was on the treadmill kind of thinking about that. And I would say, I think conventional wisdom would say, max out my Roth account, my Roth 401k account, that 19.5%, because that's probably the most, it's going to be the best from a tax standpoint. That's going to grow tax-free, and it's probably going to be the most beneficial for me. But then I also kind of thought about it is, you know, if I'm saving, let's take my kids' college out out of it, right? From just a retirement perspective, if I'm saving 27.5%, including that taxable account, because I think of that as a, a, a retirement account for me, because I don't necessarily think I'm going to use that money at any point outside of a bridge type of account. You know, I don't know if I need to save any more in retirement. I think 29% already saving is, is pretty good. Or at least if you look at it at, what is that, 19% in retirement type accounts. I think that I would do kind of two things with the money. I think number one is invest more in the taxable account. So I have more opportunities to use it in other ways later. So it's actually being put put to work. And then I'll say number two, probably just spend more, honestly. Um, I think that I live pretty frugally is probably a good word for it. And I think that, I mean, when you look at at that perspective, I think there's a lot more opportunities to enjoy some of that money than I probably allow myself and my family to do. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is that we're going to have more uh, conversations on what individual stocks Will is going to buy in his fun account out of that cash percentage. Um, I might put some more index um, S&P 500 <laughs> accounts in my taxable account. I, I don't know how much more individual retirement account. I mean, not individual <laughs> retirement, individual stocks. I, I want to keep those indiv- individual stocks 5% or lower, preferably like 2% like they are right now. And I'll feel that, that allows me to sleep at night. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'll, I'll, I'll flip over to me. And I think, um, I, I do think it's, it's kind of a fundamental piece of how we look at this differently. And I think it's great to, to show because I think 
you know, everybody's going to look at this a little differently. So I think, you know, the way you did your numbers really was revolving around that savings rate, right? So no matter what, how much income you're bringing in, right? Like that, that number doesn't really matter. You're looking at it as, okay, whatever I'm bringing in this year, I want to save this percent, right? And Mm -hmm. I think on my side, I I look at it a little differently where I've actually never, I've never calculated a savings rate. So I I probably should do that. And that might be a good thing for us to talk through in in a future episode. But I think for me, I look at it more as um, more savings goals from a monetary uh, monetary amount standpoint. So, for instance, you know, I have a goal of maxing out the Roth IRA every month, right? So, um, you know, I, I have a full-time job, but also have a number of side hustles that bring in income. So no matter how much I'm bringing in during a certain month, I know that one of the things I'm going to do or goal I have to do is to put the $500 in that Roth IRA account, right? But it doesn't necessarily have a have to do with what percentage I'm saving towards that account um, for each month or each year. So the way I did it was based on, on my net worth. Um, so actually taking some of the numbers we talked about in the last episode. So for me in the three buckets, my tax deferred um, or um, after tax or to be pre-tax money is by far the highest because that's my my normal retirement um, through uh, through the states and that's at twenty nine point three percent of my net worth. So that's a huge chunk of of my net worth and my my by far largest investment account. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is bucket two and that's the the after tax and that's the Roth IRA. And right now that sits at 5.5% of my net worth, which is a relatively small amount. Um, most of that is because of the contribution limits. So, um, you know, I have been maxing that out the last few years, but just because of the, the limit of $6,000 a year to put into that account, which I, I think is going to start to get raised or may already be getting raised. But just because of those contribution limits, it, it just hasn't risen to a, a higher percentage. Um, and then the last bucket is the taxable accounts. So for me, that's um, different brokerage accounts and my uh, cryptocurrency hmm. account. Um, and that sits at 16.5%. So it's about roughly half of my, my pre-tax. Um, and so for me, when I, when I think about, you know, kind of the, I guess, where I, my savings rates and where I put money, um, it actually, it tends to go more into taxable because after I've done the Roth IRA and maxed that out, um, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I have not increased substantially the, the pre-tax money from my, my state retirement. Um, mm-hmm. So really the only other buckets in, uh, of the options I have currently are, are the taxable brokerage accounts. Um, so that's where I end up, you know, when I have money at the end of the month left over um, that doesn't, you know, doesn't go towards expenses or doesn't go towards, um, you know, other savings goals, that money goes into whatever taxable account um, I have open. Um, so it's, for me, it's, it's, I don't have as much of a savings rate, although I think it'd be interesting for, to go through the process of calculating that. But I would, I would expect that that rate will probably change pretty often depending on the month. Um, so like for instance, um, you know, I have to go get a, 
I have to go get a pretty hefty uh, dental procedure done here this month, unfortunately. Uh, great Christmas present to me. Um, and so this month, you know, a lot of money's going towards that. So there's not going to be much, if any, that's going to be left over to, to add into a taxable account this month. But in January, that might change uh, depending on what other expenses are going on. So I think it's just two different ways that we look at it. But um, yeah, any questions on, I guess, on, on, on my side of things? Well, I guess thought. So I think that if I looked at it the same way as you've been, as a percent of my net worth in the three buckets, tax deferred, tax free, taxable, mine, the percentages might change a little bit. But mine would look very similar to yours, where I have the most in tax deferred because my previous employer's retirement account is my largest one. Um, and then the same thing for my wife. Um, and then, the, the, honestly, my tax-free and taxably flipped, where tax-free would be the second highest percentage and taxable would be the lowest percentage, where for you, you have taxable as the second highest and then tax-free as the lowest. So I think that we would be similar-esque outside of those last two. But I guess just from a logistical standpoint, and I mean, I'm a numbers like junkie, probably obsessive numbers, way more way more than, more than I should be. But if you don't pay attention to savings rate and how much you're putting in every year, how do you know that you're on track for your retirement goal? Or do you have a number that is your goal for retirement? Or is like, okay, as long as I put things in, that's all you kind of pay attention to? Yeah, I, I really don't, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. I, you know, I think in my mind, the bucket one and bucket two are retirement funds, right? So those I'm, you know, I'm counting on those to be my retirement accounts when I reach that age. Um, and I think, you know, if we do the, you know, I, I think we should do a show on compound interest at some points, but if you, you know, if you do the, you know, compounding returns of, you know, even what is in those accounts right now, um, the number is, you know, the number is pretty high once you get to retirement age. Mm -hmm. um, so I, to be honest with you, I, I don't worry too much about a retirement like number. Um, I, I kind of look at it as those two accounts I'm going to continue to contribute to. And the, that's set for retirement. The taxable side in my mind is the, you know, what could be used to either start a business or take on some other sort of investment or to, you know, um, be on the fun side of life. Right. And, um, you know, potentially, you know, buy some, you know, buy a vacation home someday or, you know, something on the, that's going to increase our quality of life. Um, so that's, I, I think I, I just see the, the, I don't necessarily have a retirement number. I just think about those two accounts, you know, kind of taking care of that later in life. So in your mind, there's no every year I want to save X percent for retirement. You don't think of it that way at all? No. Interesting. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's very different than the way that I think about it. But I think that one thing that you said, which I also think a lot about is, at least for me, and I, I would assume the, the same for you, is if I looked at my what I have in retirement accounts today, and I never invested another dollar in it, I mean, just the growth itself would be pretty amazing. And I'm not sure if it would be quite to where I would want it to be in retirement, but I mean, it would probably be enough that I could make it by if I absolutely needed to. Um, so I think that 
that's interesting in the fact that you're like, you know, I know I've done what I need it to do up front, so I'm not too concerned about it. Where I'm like, well, yeah, I did what I need to do, but what if I could have five times more in, in, in retirement? Um, so yeah, definitely a different way to think about it because I probably obsess more than that than I should, to be honest with you, and think more about it. Um, but I don't think either one of us are in a bad spot for that, and we've both done what we're supposed to do. Um, and definitely on different ends of the spectrum of how we focus on it, it seems like. And I just think it's a great conversation, you know, with these buckets is, you know, it's, it's not just about, okay, um, I need to put 33% of what I bring in into bucket one, 33% in two and three, right? It, it's more mm-hmm. about how you design your life and, and what is, what do you want yeah. your future to hold, right? If you're somebody that, you know, I think in my mind, one of the reasons that I, do put more money in taxable accounts is that, you know, I, I would love to, to be a full-time entrepreneur someday. And in that regard, I need more access to funding uh, than, than tying it up in retirement accounts um, that I can't access. So, you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, what, what you think your life, your future will hold uh, and different life goals that you may have, right? Um, so if you want to retire early prior to when you can take money out, then taxable accounts are really important. If you plan to, if you love your career and you plan to, to be, you know, it, to be working until retirement age, um, then, then tax, then the bucket one and bucket two are really important. Um, they're all important. It's just, you know, kind of how you make decisions on, on where you put your money today. Um, it, you know, I think it's just based on what, what you, goals you have, you know, as you look long-term in your future. Yeah. And I would say even beyond that, I would say it matters much more your savings rate and actually doing investment over time than what bucket it's in. Like that matters exponentially more than what your rate of return is, what tax advantage or non-tax advantage account that you're in. Just doing something is going to be what ultimately sets you up later for success in life then, okay, I'm getting X percent tax break because this account is more, more advantageous for me. So I think that that's something that we, that's important for us to note. And both of us are doing what we should be doing in albeit different ways. But at the end of the day, it's not going to mean that one person is going to retire exponentially better than the rest or someone's not going to be able to be able to retire. So much more just doing the deed and actually investing is probably the most important aspect. Yeah, don't let the tail wag the dog. Right. Like the, yep. you're absolutely right. Like they're all good. Yes. So I think that's important to, that's important to say all three buckets are good. So, you know, hopefully we're, you know, they may be somewhat better than another just for different reasons, but, you know, I definitely would not let um, the indecision of trying to figure out exactly which bucket to put, you know, this money into, um, you know, delay you from just putting it in somewhere. Yes. Do something a hundred percent. All right, Ben. Well, I think that that kind of wraps up episode number four here. Hopefully you learned a little bit about the three different buckets and maybe even four buckets. If you have that triple tax advantage account, um, thanks for taking the time with us today. And we look forward to talking with you next week. 